Now I thought I'd share some of my favorite Thanksgiving fails from you guys. This first one is from at uh, in Chili Whack. He says, should have used the pie pan. Look at this photo. Oops. <laughs> That's what happened? That's a solid crust. I never knew yeah. what would happen if I didn't use that. Oh. Oh, this one's good. This one's from Matt Lachute 9. She says, one year my mother-in-law was making gravy. She poured the gravy in a strainer but forgot to put a pan underneath to catch the liquid. Poured it all down the sink. Oh. <laughs> Holy something. This one's from Matt Kelsey Cole 01. She says, one Thanksgiving I tried out uh, my new chocolate fountain but it broke and spun out of control. Hot fondue got everywhere and then hardened. She's, look at the photo. That's real. Send a photo right there. Oh, my God. Oh, disaster. I didn't even know you could That's a fond, that's a fond don't. That's a fond don't. <laughs> this last one is from at, this is Erica C. She says, one year the turkey still had pink juice coming from it after cooking, but my dad said it was just leg juice. Everybody but me ended up with food poisoning. Oh, the girl, there you go. There you have it on the Tonight Show hashtag. Well, I don't know what Thanksgiving would be without gravy. I hope you all had a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving, despite it being maybe a bit more challenging than it normally is, uh, this pandemic, without a doubt, is relentless. And so I just wanted to take a moment at the start of this to let all of you know uh, out there that our thoughts, our prayers, my thoughts, my prayers are with you, are with those of you especially who are medical personnel. Thank you for um, your persistence, your perseverance in the midst of this pandemic. I know it has without a doubt had its moments and will probably continue to have its moments. And for those of you who are sick, who are suffering, who have lost people, our prayers and thoughts are with you as well. Now today, we are going to kick off a four-part series called Follow. I love this graphic. It is just beautiful, the endless possibilities of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, a, um, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. And I wanted to introduce um, week one today and what we're talking about today uh, with a experience that I had growing up. And maybe you had this experience, this situation happened to you too, or you perceived it, you th- felt it, um, maybe more than you saw it. But this is what I experienced growing up, and maybe you too, or maybe your religious experience was kind of like this. Here's what it was. There was a standard that divided church people and non-church people. There was a bar. There was a standard that divided, that separated, that kept apart church people and non-church people. And this was not a matter of attendance, the standard so much. And this was not a matter of how often you went to service, for example. This was a matter of behavior. This was a matter of knowledge. This was a matter of, uh, honestly, sometimes of appearance. That, that non-church people, the non-church people on the other side of the dividing line, they just didn't have the right behavior Or maybe better yet, they couldn't hide the behavior that they had quite as well as church people could. They didn't have the right type of relationships that you were supposed to have. They didn't have the right job, the right clothing. Honestly, they didn't have the right smell. They just didn't meet the standard. They didn't know the right prayers. 
They didn't know when to stand up and sit down. They, they didn't know the hymns and the theology and the routines that you're supposed to know if you are, well, a church person, a church people. And so they just were, well, not welcome. Growing up, um, there were a number of moments that I thought about when I thought about the standard. Uh, one in particular was around this time, around Thanksgiving time, our church uh, would have a feast and um, to, to be thankful and to spend time as a community together. And one year, the pastor invited um, the people from the, I think, the men's shelter in town to come and eat with um, the, the people from our church uh, and um, to hear the message that was given during it and hear the, the songs that were sung during this uh, feast. Um, these were hurting homeless people in the middle of winter coming in uh, to a warm church building and enjoying a meal uh, with us together. And I just will tell you, there were murmurings. That was probably too nice of a way to say it. There were frowns. Oh my, there were frowns. There was, what is going on here? Why are there these, why are these people here? And the next year's attendance at this Thanksgiving feast dropped. And the only thing, the only changed thing that changed between the year before and the year they invited the people from the shelter were the people from the shelter. Essentially, these non-church people, non-church people came into the church people's world and they did not meet the standard. Now, for some of you at home, you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, that's just terrible. Oh, Pastor Taylor, that's terrible. I would never participate in such a thing. I would never judge those kinds of people so harshly. I would never choose not to attend an event like that. And that's fantastic. But most of us have. Most of us have set standards like that and treated people differently because of how they looked, how they behaved and if it wasn't in church, it was somewhere else, wasn't it? In fact, you have probably been on either the receiving end of this standard or on the dishing it out end of this standard. I mean, you remember school lunchrooms in middle school and high school? They were all about standards, weren't they? The tables were legitimately divided oftentimes by whether or not you were on the right team or the right sport or you wore the right clothes or maybe you wore a different set of clothes and therefore you sat at another table or maybe at a work event you've experienced this before or after work event where you went and you know there was part of the office that wasn't invited or maybe you weren't invited or that person that talks just so much, was invited, and so you just avoided them. You stayed on the other side of the room because, well, they just didn't meet your standard. Or in your neighborhood, you know, you have that house in your neighborhood or houses, homes, and families in your neighborhood that you just avoid. And everybody else kind of avoids them too. Or that sporting event you've been at where the other families kind of excluded you or you were a part of excluding other families. You have probably either treated others as not enough, as not meeting the standard in your life, or I know most of us have been on the receiving end of that too. And yes, 
the right response is, oh, that's terrible. But unfortunately, people's view of the church and relationships and more importantly, Jesus, have been built on this standard. The standard that you weren't enough. Maybe you watching or maybe someone else said the words, you aren't enough. You weren't enough. And so it's the reason you left the church. It's the reason you avoided the church because you weren't enough. You got that feeling because the Christians were just so judgmental. That's where that judgmental culture comes from. It's just not being enough. You weren't good enough to fit in. And this just isn't a Christian thing, really. Honestly, it's all religions, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, whether it be pastors or elders or whatever, there are expectations and you have to meet them. And maybe in your life, you've tried to meet those, right? You tried to follow the rules to fit into to God's rules, the church's rules, to be more like Jesus. And, and that worked like intermittently, right? It worked for like an hour or something. And then you kind of did that thing you weren't supposed to do. And so you went to God and you said, God, I promise I'm never going to do that again. And then like an hour later, you did it again. And there were, you knew, right? You knew that there were rules. You knew that there was expectations. You knew you were supposed to read your Bible. You knew you were supposed to pray and memorize things, but well, they just weren't as fun. They weren't as easy as what everybody else was doing. And that the people that weren't following Jesus seemed to have a lot more fun than the people who were following Jesus. And so ultimately, you concluded that you just wanted to have more fun. And so you decided you were going to be okay with not being enough, okay? You figured that, well, if I'm going to go to hell, then at least I'll know some people there. Or maybe, maybe, and I don't know if this is worse or where this falls in the spectrum, but maybe you faked it. You pretended that you were good enough, that you were enough so that you could fit in. And behind that all, you had no clue what those prayers meant. You had no clue why the rules were what they were. But what was more important was that you fit in instead of being honest with where you were. And the unfortunate thing is that that This being enough standard was the opposite of what following Jesus actually looked like. And even today, what following Jesus actually is. The standard that I have to be good enough, look good enough, know enough to follow Jesus was just, is just wrong. Because my friends, if you read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, he had standards. Jesus had a bar that he expects us to meet. But when he went around sharing about that bar, that standard, when he went around telling people about that or convicting people of the, about that, it didn't look like you're in my church experience. It didn't look like the lunchroom. It didn't look like kids' baseball teams and families and, you know, uh, disagreements and conflicts and cliques within those groups. It looked pretty much the opposite of that. And that's why we're having this series. 
Because I want to talk to you for the next four weeks about what following Jesus actually looked like and looks like for you today. And unfortunately, we can't cover it all in a matter of four Sundays, but I want to talk about at least four things that I think will help you to better understand what Jesus, following Jesus is actually about and how you can follow Jesus better. To correct the incorrect thinking, to give you that more wholesome picture. And hopefully for some of you, come to the place where you're actually willing to trust Jesus, to actually follow him yourself. A great example of what it looked like to follow Jesus um, is, comes from uh, the book of Matthew. And it actually is the book of Matthew and the story of how Matthew came to follow Jesus and how we can follow Jesus and look at following Jesus the right way. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, if you want to follow along at home or follow along here or maybe read the whole chapter later today, which would be awesome, it began this way. As Jesus went on from there, in other words, Jesus was on the move. This was pretty normal for Jesus. He was going places, teaching things, saying things, all these kinds of things. Um, Jesus was on the move, and here's where he was on the move from. Um, in, I don't know if it was over a day or a couple days. Um, he uh, did a lot of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee, really the Lake of Gennesaret. It's the, the lake that is on the northern part of Israel. And uh, he did a lot of his ministry around this lake. He was from Nazareth, which is a little down here. In, in this story, he's right here in Capernaum. One day he decides to go over here uh, into this area was known as the Decapolis. And he got some demons and put them in a pig, pigs. And it was really crazy story, which is a normal day's work for Jesus. And then he heads back on the boat, back over to Capernaum, and he's on his way out of Capernaum, which is kind of his base of operations. We don't know where exactly he was going, but essentially Matthew 9, 9 says, as Jesus went on from there, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. And this man named Matthew was sitting in a very important place. He was sitting at the tax collector's booth because Matthew was a tax collector. Now, no one loves the IRS, fair to say, right? Nobody loves tax collectors. But in these days, tax collectors weren't seen as an unfortunate necessity. They were just simply hated, to elicit the same emotions as a Jewish person, as Jesus' followers at this time, minus Matthew, would have felt towards Matthew, I have to give you a modern example so it kind of elicits the same emotional response that it elicited for a Jewish person in that way. The closest thing to a tax collector in those days would be a drug dealer at a school. Like after school, the kids leave and the drug dealers hang out and deal drugs to the kids on their way home. In my case, it was in, in high school, it was the parking lot, the church parking lot, actually, across the street from our high school of all places. You just, you saw it and it just, it broke your heart, made you angry, just was bad. It was a little revolting because you knew it was happening. Everybody knew it was happening, but it was just wrong. And you're kind of disgusted by it. That's how Jewish people felt towards tax collectors in those days. Because Rome, who was 
uh, Judea in the area of Jerusalem and the surrounding, uh, the Jewish conquerors, okay? Rome was in charge because they had conquered them. And Rome would contract local Jewish people to tax other local Jewish people. And so the Jewish people, they looked at tax collectors as traitors because they would take money from the Jewish people, not just to give it to Rome. They would, because Rome said to the, the, the contract tax collectors, they said, you have to pay us X amount. If you want to charge more and skim all that off the top, we don't care. Just so as long as we, Rome, get our share of it. And so often, tax collectors were not only traders benefiting the occupiers, Rome, but they were taking money from their own people for their own benefit on, Roman, on Rome's authority. So people hated them. And so when Jesus was walking by in this moment, Jesus could have said many things. Jesus could have said, done many things. Jesus could have, you know, done that sidewards like glance like of judgment, like what are you doing? Could have you know, walked by and just shaked his head like, I'm just so disappointed in you, but I'm not even going to acknowledge you. Could have made some snide remark like, well, I bet your mom's proud, Matthew. Or show, pointed him out and said, that's the example of a sinner. Or that's not someone that I want in my church, in my kingdom. That's someone that's not deserving of God's love. He could have said any of those things. But he didn't. Some of you know what he said. Two words. He said, follow me. Jesus stopped, looked Matthew dead in the eyes and said, Matthew, follow me. Imagine the faces of the other disciples, of the people around Jesus at this moment that heard him. Jesus, rabbi, teacher, gaining popularity, shows up, sees a tax collector, and says, follow me, tax collector. In other words, be my disciple. Be my representative to the world. It wouldn't have shocked me if at this moment there was an audible like groan or gasp in his audience and the people around Jesus. Just as there was a silent groan when the homeless people were invited to eat. Or maybe in your church, some similar experiences of you don't meet the standard, yet you're here and we don't know why and we don't like it. Jesus said, follow me to Matthew because to Jesus, Jesus wanted Matthew to be with him. Jesus, to say follow me said that Matthew, you're going to follow me every day. You're going to go where I go, eat where I eat. Not just on Sunday morning. This is not a Sunday morning commitment, Matthew. This is a livelihood. This is a daily commitment to follow me. You're going to experience a change in your income. Oh my, Matthew, you're going to experience a change in your income. You're going to experience, Matthew, oh my, a direction life, a direction change for your entire life, Matthew. But it's going to be awesome, Matthew. It's going to change your life. And people are going to talk about you for thousands of years. But of course, Matthew doesn't know this. And so I imagine that Matthew doesn't say this, but I imagine as many of us do, we're kind of shocked by something like this. I think Matthew said something along the lines of, you talking to me? Jesus, are you, are you talking to me? Because 
Do you know what I do for a living? Do you know how I've hurt people for a living, Jesus? And yet you want me to follow you. You want me to follow you. See, I think this is our response sometimes. When Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts, knocking on the door of our minds and saying, follow me. And we think to ourselves, Jesus, do you even know me? Do you know where I've been, what I've done? I feel that nudge, Jesus, to take that step. I feel that nudge to be honest with myself, Jesus. But are you sure you want someone like me with this story, with this behavior in my past? Jesus says, yes. Jesus says, yes. And I think what's unfortunate is it's too easy for many of us just to hear Jesus say, follow me. Hear me stand up here every Sunday and say, Jesus loves you and, and God wants you to be in relationship with him and you should follow him and all that stuff. And just let that go in one ear and out the other and say, oh, that's good. I checked off church for the day and I'm going to go do my thing and for the rest of the week. And Jesus isn't expecting a one, in one ear, out the other. Jesus doesn't want you to pretend or to have to fake it. Jesus doesn't want you to go on with life as it currently is. Jesus wants your life to be better. Jesus wants you to be better at life because he's a part of it. Because I'm just telling you, life will have different challenges with Jesus, but ultimately it will be better. So I want you to be honest with yourselves. When Jesus has maybe knocked on the door of your heart, when a Christian has maybe come into your life and actually, you know, kind of convinced you of a couple things, or are you being honest with yourself? Are you following? Do you realize Jesus personally invites you to follow him? Are you just trying to talk yourself out of it? Are you really listening to what he has to say? Matthew made a decision in that moment. Are you talking to me, Jesus? Jesus must have just stood there and looked at him. Doesn't say anything else. And Matthew had a decision to make. Am I going to follow or not? Am I going to leave this life that I'm comfortable with, but I know that is not going to satisfy me, that is not fulfilling, that is not my purpose to follow this man? Am I going to leave that behind? And Matthew didn't say anything. He just did something. Here's what he did. Matthew got up and followed him. And I don't know what the conversation looked like next. I would imagine it went something like a moment of silence. And then Matthew said, uh, Jesus, uh, where are we going? I'm following you now. Where are we going? I just left this all behind. What are we doing? And Jesus responded, we're going to your house, Matthew. Matthew's like, we're going to my house. Okay, why are we going to my house? For what? Jesus said, for dinner. <laughs> We're going to go have dinner at your house. Matthew, I want you to go invite all your friends, all your business associate, your task collector friends, your sinner friends, all of them. And I want to go have dinner at your house as if Jesus could make this situation more tense, more uncomfortable, as if Jesus could do anything more to damage his own reputation in the eyes of all the Jewish community around him because he's going to go eat with the enemy. He's going to go eat with traitors. 
But it didn't matter to Jesus. Because what mattered more to Jesus was that Matthew followed. And I know what matters more to Jesus than your past is that you are going to follow. That you are going to follow. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many, not just some, many tax collectors, many traders, and sinners. See, there were two different groups, right? There were the sinners and the tax collectors because these were like uber sinners and then there was like just normal sinners, okay? They came and ate with him and his disciples. And I think they came because what rabbi would invite sinners and tax collectors to dinner? And they just had to show up to see what kind of man is this? What's his motive? Why is he there? And then as they're all sitting around having dinner, the perfect church people show up. The Pharisees show up. The, there is a standard and you have to meet it or else people showed up. And they brought the judgment. They brought the indignation. They brought the you aren't good enough attitude, nose held high standard. When the Pharisees saw this dinner, they asked the, uh, Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And in front of everybody, Jesus overheard this question. In front of everybody, Matthew and his friends and the church people, Jesus replies. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I mean, imagine you're Matthew in this moment. It's like, did, did he just call me sick? Did, did you just come over to dinner, Jesus, to like trash me and my friends? I mean, that's like a little rude. But then I think the more the people in the room thought about it, they were actually relieved. I think they might have actually found some freedom in this statement of Jesus. Because this was the first time someone saw them for who they were, saw them for broken, saw them for more than just worth walking by and making a snide remark to. Jesus didn't exclude them. Jesus didn't ignore them. Jesus had dinner with them a feast even, because Jesus wasn't there to be rude. Jesus was there to be a doctor. Jesus was there to help. Jesus was there for those that admitted they were sick and needed help. Imperfect people were the perfect candidates to follow Jesus. And I tell you, even today, imperfect people I have found in my own experience, are the perfect candidates to follow Jesus. Because think about this. How easy is it? How easy is it for a doctor to help someone who is in denial that they are sick? How easy is it for you to help someone who denies having a problem? 
The answer, it's impossible. It's impossible to help someone who first doesn't admit that they have a problem, who first doesn't admit that they are sick. If you don't go to your doctor's appointment, they can't help you. If you don't admit that you're in pain, they can't help you. If you don't admit something's wrong, newsflash, they cannot help you and neither can Jesus. Because maybe in your pride, in, in, your pride has gotten in the way. Your arrogance has gotten in the way. And you won't allow yourself to admit that you have a problem. Allow yourself to ask for help. Allow yourself to follow someone other than your own arrogance. Your money has gotten in the way. Your influence, your desire to have power and influence has gotten in the way. Your goals have gotten in the way because you don't want to rely on anyone else other than yourself. You're just too good for that. You don't need a doctor. You're fine. You're not the kind of person that gets sick. Or maybe you're more like the Pharisee, the self-righteous, too good to follow someone other than yourself person. And you just fake it when you fail. You fake it to make it so you can fit in and be on top. And it's difficult. When you take those postures in your mind, in your heart, in your actions, in your life to get the help you know you need. Especially if you do it for such a long time. I've seen people, know people who have lived a life of deceit with pride in the way, self-righteousness in their way, idols in their way, and it is keeping them from following Jesus. Because for some reason, they have gotten in their head, maybe because of church experience or looking from the outside in, thinking that you have to meet a standard to be a part. Maybe you have experienced something like this, where there is the world or Pharisees that are telling you this message. They say, change and you can follow. And so you do. You try to fake it. You try to make it just so that you can be a part. This so that you can be involved. This so you can be a part of the cool kids, the right clique, the right group. You can be accepted. And so you try everything you can. You'll even go into debt to just feel like you're on the same level playing field as everybody else. Church people do this all the time. You're not enough. You got to meet the standard. And so long as you don't meet this standard, you are going to be always on the outside. So long as you fail to believe the right things and behave the right ways, you are going to be on the outside. But this story illustrates Jesus' message is the opposite. Jesus' message says this, follow and you can be changed. I'm not expecting you to be perfect day one. We'll get you there if you follow me. If you think, Jesus would say, if you think your faults, greed, your lust, your wrongs, your sin disqualifies you from following me, you're wrong. Because there is no sin too great for the love God has for you, the love Christ showed for you. And the death that he endured on the cross to pay for that sin. That's why Jesus is able to share the message, follow, and you can be changed. I want to break this down real quick to make sure we're really clear on this. First, a 
of the two points of breaking this down. One, being a sinner is not a disqualifier. It's a prerequisite. Being a sinner is not a disqualifier. It is a prerequisite. There's a great word uh, by Andy Stanley, uh, a pastor that we follow here. This is how he put it. I thought this was so good. I wanted to share this with you. This sin is not an excuse. This is not a statement that says, okay, we'll go out and sin so you can qualify. No, this is saying you are a sinner. You do fall short. You just need to come to terms with the fact of where you are now so that you can be healed, so that you will go to the doctor. Because I'll be honest with you, Matthew, (laughs) Matthew didn't pray enough. Matthew didn't repent enough. Matthew didn't give enough. He didn't serve enough. He wasn't in a group enough. He wasn't enough. But in spite of that, what did Jesus say to him? Follow me. Follow me. Follow so that you can be changed, Matthew. Don't try to go out and pursue change or pretend that you've changed just so you can feel a part. No, 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 no. Be a part. And when you do, you'll change. I said a little earlier, this has been my experience pastoring Infused Church. We knew from the beginning that we wanted to have a tagline when we started Infuse uh, five, over five years ago. We wanted to have imperfect pe- people be a part of the tagline. I just had a sense that that was the right thing to do. And I'll be honest with you, we got some flack at the start because uh, other church leaders, other church people said, well, well, that's not really the goal. You're not trying to get people to imperfection. And I said, I totally agree. But I hope when people see that, they'll say, you know what? It's time for me to be honest. I'm not a perfect person. I'm not going to try to pretend to be a perfect person. I'm not going to try to have everything in my life look perfect and act perfect and and all that. I'm going to begin with admitting that I am a perfect, imperfect people. I am an imperfect person. Because I'll just tell you from experience that those are the people who become followers of Jesus. Because they're humble and they're willing to be kind and they're willing to know where they've been wrong and they're willing to change and they're willing to see something different than what they're used to. If you're already a Jesus follower, then your goal, if you are a Jesus follower, you don't have a choice. (laughs) You're supposed to love sinners like Christ did. When you see a sinner, you're not supposed to try to draw a line between you and them. You're not trying to figure out a way of how you're better than they are because you don't have the same sin problems that they do. You may have sin problems, but you'll tell yourself you just don't have them as bad as they do. Your goal is to love sinners like Christ loved you and Christ loves sinners. Because it's hard and because it'll change you. When you have to love others as Christ did, it will change you. Following Jesus by loving sinners will change you. And it will change you to be more like Christ. If you're listening right now and you still feel stuck, 
You still feel like you're not enough. You feel like you got to change first more before you can follow Jesus. That's wrong. Jesus said, time and time again, follow me. Follow me. Not because you're right. Follow me so that you can be changed. I have people all the time and they tell me, Taylor, Pastor Taylor, the reason I can't get baptized is, is because I'm not there yet. I don't know enough. I, I don't pray enough. I, I don't go to church enough. Listen, without Jesus, you're not going to be enough. Stop trying to grit your teeth and force yourself to be better. Force yourself to follow Jesus. First, focus on where you are versus where you're not. And bring that to the feet of Jesus. Because many of us are in the tax collector booth. Many of us are in the tax collector booth and Jesus is at the window looking us dead in the eyes and saying, follow me. And we're trying to find every reason to stay in that comfortable, lucrative, easy but shallow and empty tax collector booth. And Jesus says, come out, follow me. One more thing I want to break down in the follow and then be changed. You don't have to believe in Jesus to follow Jesus. It's like, what? I don't have to follow Jesus? Isn't that the whole point? I have to believe. I have to have faith. You don't have to believe to follow Jesus. You don't have to believe in Jesus to follow Jesus. The reason I know that is because Matthew didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God when Matthew decided to follow Jesus. In fact, there are a number of points that the disciples didn't know and didn't believe in who Jesus was. Literally, there were disciples who had nicknames because of their lack of belief. Doubting Thomas. Peter denied knowing Jesus. They didn't get it until he died and rose again. Read the gospel of Matthew. Read, read the gospels, any of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Ask questions. Explore faith. Follow him. Because that's how Matthew and John and Peter and Simon and Paul and Bartholomew, etc., came to faith, came to follow Jesus, came to believe in the resurrection, the life everlasting, because they followed the teachings of Jesus. They followed Jesus and they came to believe. That's how you can too. Follow and be changed. Follow and you can be changed. But they heard Jesus' invitation and they followed if you still think after all of this that you still have a good enough reason not to follow Jesus, I invite you to write that reason down and pray on it. Seriously, because at least then that's one step towards following Jesus. Pray on it. Ask God, God, what am I supposed to do with this? Every day, just pray on it. A simple prayer it takes you all of five, ten minutes, or five, ten seconds, rather, sorry. It'd be great, actually, if you took five, ten minutes, but just Pray on it. Ask a friend. Ask a friend about it. Maybe ask a Christian you know about your reason for not following Jesus. Send it to me in an email if you want to. We'll talk about it. I just want you to not leave here thinking that you are not worth 
the, worthy of following Jesus. I want you to leave here crystal clear with that there is no sin. There is no unbelief that puts you outside the grace and love of your heavenly father shown through Jesus. That, my friends, is the, the place you come to when you decide to get out of the tax collector's booth and follow. That's my hope for you, my prayer for you. That's Jesus' hope for you. Is that you get out of the booth and you follow. If you would, bow your heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this story of Matthew that's been preserved for thousands and thousands of years. This place that Matthew came to, that when he saw Jesus walking by his booth, and Jesus stopped and looked at him, and Jesus said, follow me, Matthew got up and followed. Thank you for the story, Lord. Lord, Please let this sink into our hearts. That Jesus has come. Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. He came for us. He came for imperfect people. And he showed us outlandish love so that we could come to faith in him. Lord, help us not fake it. Help us not excuse it away. Help us not distract ourselves away from where we are. Sins and all. And bring that to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to live that life anymore. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to experience your forgiveness. I want to know God's love. And I want to live a life that is God-honoring, that honors me, his creation. Lord, help us to let that sink in. Help that to be the foundation in which we live our life from this day forward. Help those of us who have followed you, Lord, for so many years to recommit to that, refine that foundation. Jesus' request is so simple, to follow him, to be changed. And that nothing we can convince ourselves of really should keep us apart from you. In your name I pray. Amen.